Hello, and welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know, a podcast about the classical world put on by three educators in a classical Christian school in sunny, sunny Austin, Texas. Sunny. It is sunny. very sunny Austin, so Texas. Sunny. Too sunny. Way too sunny. It is the summer when we were recording this, and I believe the current temperature is like 106. So, um, really? That is very hot, That's or at least hot. it's been that hot this week. Um, this is not this, uh, the fact that people live in such a hot place is testament to man's arrogance, but that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> wow. Or just um, AC. Yep. Well, that's the presence yeah. of air conditioning. Anyway. Yeah, this is good. Yes. Uh, bailing out with technology. Um, but anyway, today, uh, I am joined. My name is Graham Donaldson and I am here with Thomas Magby. Hello. The ambassador, ombudsman of fun. Ombudsman of fun. And Arthur Jan Hannenberg. That is me. Who is with us? Um, what's, Thanks do you for have the a title? Glowing wow. You're a teacher. You're a teacher of rhetoric, which has its own. Yeah. And Lord of Sealand. You're mm-hmm. you're forgetting yeah, my most important title. You have a title. Yeah. Yes, yeah. your purchased heraldry. Um, <laughs> isn't isn't all? <laughs> yes, except for some purchase it with blood. Wow. <laughs> oh, that was a good it, point. Yeah. You purchased it with paper cuts. I <laughs> some paper cuts. Hannenberg, you are <laughs> taking us way back throwback podcast to the world of ancient Mesopotamia. The Fertile Crescent. The Fertile Crescent. My gentlemen, go on me with a journey to modern-day Iraq. Okay. Okay. I'm pretty sure there's a restaurant in Toronto called the Fertile Crescent Crescent that served just amazing shawarmas. (laughs) Oh, I bet it's awesome. Oh, but the pickled beets, they get me. Anyway, it's disgusting. Okay, so So today I will be talking about the Epic of Gilgamesh, which we kind of forgot existed as a species until the 1800s. Uh, cool. Yeah, it was, it was, like it was lost to us. It was like discovered in the 1800s? Mm-hmm. That's cool. <laughs> By, I think, a guy named Henry Laird and his buddy. And it was in that kind of era of... Uh, what's the, the Indiana British Jones? Em- oh, the British Empire, oh. like going around and taking things back <laughs> oh, to England? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not trying to downplay that. I'm saying this is the Indiana Jones era of archaeology where I don't have to speak your language, but I'm going to go there brandishing oh. guns and take all your relics. That's like that's... Up. And so Henry Layard and his buddy get all of these tablets. Huh? But British, the not British. not Western, not cowboys. Or you're taking These are British cowboys. Yeah, I don't know. That's what they sound like. Have you not met a British I cowboy? From, from Ireland. Uh, okay. Anyway, I'm <laughs> Yep. You guys are sidetracking Sorry. so so yeah. easy. Anyway, so Henry Layard went down and uh, they found in Nineveh, the ancient city of Nineveh. And you might remember Nineveh from such books as Jonah. Ah, uh, yes. Right, yeah, that's who he preached to. Well, it turns out Nineveh's that's a real, real place. place. Yeah. And there was a king there named Ashurbanipal. And after there was a rebellion that he kind of squashed, and he was king of a whole bunch of uh, different places. Nineveh's still a place. Like, it is a populated city in Syria? You can go there. Huh. It's yeah, one of the, sure. it's, I think it's like the oldest, one of the oldest continuing inhabitant cities. Like, usually these ancient cities like Troy, no one lives on the side of Troy. But, but people, people live. still live in old town of Nineveh. Huh. Anyway. Right, cool. so... In Nineveh, he wanted to compile a library and basically sent out a call for anything that would aid in the administration of his kingdom, which included tax records, which included the advice of previous kings, and one of the greatest epics of their time period, which was the Epic of Gilgamesh. Mm -hmm. And we know that it was big and popular because we have copies ranging all the way back to, I think, uh, around, what was it? I think it was like 2600 BC, something like that, like a long, long time ago. Uh, the edition that we we have was compiled by we we call him by the inscription that he made on the copy, which was Sinleki Unini, which basically means 
God of the moon, hear my prayer or hmm. receive my prayer. So we don't actually know the guy's name. He yeah. didn't write his name on it. It's really anonymous. But that little inscription, we just used that as his name. And he was thought to live somewhere between 1000 BC to 1300 BC. Huh. So a thousand years before the coming of Christ, this guy compiled the Epic of Gilgamesh. Huh. And he oh, compiled it compiled. on... He did not write. He didn't write it. He was actually working from ancient texts. So there's sort of a language thing where for the longest time, Sumerian was the language of intellect, Mm -hmm. right? Which was, it was kind of like the Latin of their day, right? Just for like for a long time, Latin was like, if you were educated, if you were a scribe, you You learned learned Latin. Latin. And uh, the same thing was true of Sumerian, right? Mm -hmm. Even in the time when the language of Akkadia, uh, Akkadian, or Akkad? Is it Akkad or Akkad? Anyway, Akkadian was no kind of like the language that everybody used. Sumerian was still regarded as the language of learning. So mm. if you were a scribe, you learned that. Mm. And, uh, and they wrote in a language called cuneiform. Right? Do you guys know what cuneiform is? Mm-hmm. No. So it's, it's basically when writing was invented, mm. was cuneiform. And they're like these little wedge shapes. And the audience can't see that I'm making a little V with my hands. Uh-huh. But it's kind of like, if you think of like a little a chicken claw scratch is kind of what it looks like. And it was easy to make with a chisel and you can make them really fast. There's no real curves or at least not very many They were reeds, the weren't they? You just snip off the top of a reed. Probably. I think that's actually where the word cuneiform comes from. Cool. I think. Cuneiform means cone shaped. Oh, then. So it's the shape of the little wedge that they make. And basically it started out as kind of a pictographical writing. Like if I had, and it was for records, right? If I was like, I'm going to send you three bushels of corn, and you're going to send me oh, three bushels three. of beef. So it was counting. So it was counting. Uh, cool. I would make the shape of corn on like three a times. little tablet or whatever, and then I would send you the tablet as your record, huh, right? And you cool. could write down. It basically came up when the administration of the local temple was too complicated to keep track of what was going on for human memory, right? Mm-hmm. So they had to start writing stuff down. Blockchain. <laughs> Block, yeah, yep. blockchain. The original so blockchain. they invented cuneiform writing, and it eventually became complex enough to be a system of writing. And they wrote on these clay tablets that were easily preserved, right? Anything, they also wrote on sort of uh, wood covered in wax, but anything that was that sort of dissipated. It's the gone. clay tablets, they would be kind of damp or wet and you could push the... You could dry them, yeah. And yeah. Just, you, would, you, would, you would write on them when they were damp and then they would, they would harden and then you would have this record. Hmm. Yeah, so it was, a, it was a great system of writing and... There's a proliferation of these tablets still left over just because clay tablets clay sticks around. Yeah. So Henry Laird, when he went to Nineveh, he found Ashurbanipal's library and it was just like tons. I'm talking like tens of thousands of these great like uh, clay tablets sort of sitting around. And in there, as they were looking through, they found uh, a record of the deluge. And by the deluge, I mean the Flood. flood. From the Bible, and he, and this was a huge discovery. And it turns out that this is pretty much the oldest complete narrative epic that we have. So if you're ever wondered what is the oldest book of humanity, like what's the oldest book I can read, the Epic of Gilgamesh mm-hmm. is the oldest like complete narrative book tale that we have. And so compiled by Sinleki and Unini in a thousand to thirteen hundred, I think it was for Assurbanipal's library, which eventually got destroyed when somebody oh. else came through Bummer. and kind of lost to antiquity until they finally uncovered it in digs in Nineveh and then started translating these tablets. And there are so many tablets about Gilgamesh. And I'm not mm-hmm. talking just Sinleki Uninis. I'm saying from hundreds of hundreds and hundreds of years before, there's things that reference Gilgamesh and his tale and not necessarily in the same light, maybe with a couple changes, maybe in a different language. Like it was that popular, popular enough to have spread to distant regions of the empire and be translated into two different languages and 
to have sort of different versions of the tale. And so as we put together Sinleki Unini's tale, because pieces are missing and the tablets are broken, we're having to supplement from different places. But translators are generally confident that eventually we're going to find enough to sort of put the whole thing back but together. We are, there, are, there are pieces that we're missing? Oh, yeah. There, oh, really? there, we probably are missing about a fifth, like oh. just because of broken tablets, thing we're missing, things we're guessing at. Seems like that. a lot. Like, yeah, it's a big piece of it. In fact, one of the 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 version we use at school isn't complete, and I mm. supplement with a tablet that came out after the publication oh, okay. of our version cool. that talks about one of the episodes in the tale that kind of brings some light to some of the things that are happening. So then, with the gaps, do the translators usually try and write something in, like in the style of the epic, or will they just kind of do a plot summary to say, you know, this happens between these two? So. Chunks? Uh, in one instance, they they actually plug the gap with a summary that another scribe did a long oh. time ago, but it was a scribe. It's yep. an ancient text, but it's kind of summarizing what happened. And for the most part, they can pull from different tablets that are older That's or cool. from elsewhere to set up, sort of like fill in the gaps and you can tell when the language is the same and they can just sort of slot things in or they can guess it by context or they can kind of reconstruct it. Good translations will show you where those are, right? Mm -hmm. If there's three dots, there's a piece of a line missing and they pretty much wrote in sometimes couplets, sometimes quatrains Mm -hmm. if the couplets were joined, sometimes five lines. There isn't really a strict meter to it that's as identifiable beyond couplets, which are pretty identifiable, but beyond that, there's no real meter that we can discern. Yeah. Um, So he put together this tale. And the tale takes place in ancient Sumeria. And just to give you a picture of their world, they assumed that man was created to serve the gods. That is your point. And it's not that far off from Christianity, Mm -hmm. right? We are here to serve the God, but on the same token, what is the chief end of man, Thomas? Glorify God and enjoy him forever. Very well done. Exactly. But our God also serves us. So Mm -hmm. it kind of flips things on their head. For them, what had happened was the gods were working to provide for their own needs. But you guys... Work is hard. Work is yeah. oh, man. true. Oof. And so they thought what they would do is they're like, you know what we should do is just make people to do this for us. Oh, that's awesome. So they it's, made them out of dirt mm-hmm. and then gave them a way to make more of them and said, off you guys go. <laughs> gave them big swaths of land and that those became the cities. And each city was dedicated to a deity. Mm-hmm. And your job as a city was to Serve till that. the land and then make sure that the gods had everything they needed. And usually that temple was smack dab in the center of mm-hmm. the town. And you'd have a primary god that was like reclining and you had to make sure he was clothed. You had to make sure he was fed, that he was entertained. Mm. You would dance in front of him. Sometimes he would have a wife and you'd have to provide for her and you'd have to provide a big marital bed for these two gods. Mm. And then sometimes like a god court that you would have to serve. And so the action at the temple was really complicated and involved yes. a lot of people. And sometimes orphans and widows that they were dedicated to the temple and that was their job. Sometimes mm. in the case of any temple dedicated to Ishtar, that also inv- involved prostitution. Mm. Right? Ishtar is the ancient goddess of love and war. And they have a whole pantheon. And mostly what it is, is there's an upper firmament, which is kind of like, probably like the stars. Then there's the air. And then there's the ground. And very much like the Greeks, if you think back to a few podcasts ago when I talked about the Odyssey, or even before that, we talked about the spheres, right? There are different cosmologies. And this one's pretty basic. Basically, there's space, air, earth, and it's dome-shaped, just like usual, sitting over a big flat disk, And at the edges of it are two big mountains that sort of Hmm. protect the sun as it rises and sets. And beyond that, water Hmm. and the realm of the gods. So it's very very much like Greece, where Hmm. if you pass the ocean river, you're into the realm of the gods. Same is true of these folks, Hmm. right? And the flat earth. 
society. Yeah, yeah. kind of right. like Flat Earth Society. That's that's pretty close. If you want to go down a YouTube wormhole, <laughs> whoo. Have you done this before? <laughs> I have done Is this that? before. Why? It's fascinating. Doing research? Yeah. Oh, it's fun. I also, I, I'm really a huge fan of the, the notion that ancient pyramids were giant generators. Have you guys seen that one? <laughs> Electricity generators? Not saying it's aliens. Isn't that, is that from the History Channel thing? I think so. I look at those things because I try to find good uh, logical, logical fallacies. fallacies for rhetoric class. Oh, it's so fun. Yeah, it's just great. Okay, so there's also a, a side creation story where man was pretty much like a hairy beast and he wandered around and wasn't very good at doing mm-hmm. anything. <laughs> oh, and then, and then they had to, the gods had to create the race of kings oh. to mm-hmm. rule over That's and a, be counselors. And so they're beautiful, race, they're right? strong, they're smarter. And it's only, yeah, they're almost kind of a different race, which yeah. gives them credence to claim, like, I am a king <laughs> over everybody mm. else. So the story takes place in Uruk. And Uruk. The orcs from Lord of the Rings? No, Uruk. It's one of the provinces in Risk. right isn't that (laughs) sounds right all right so it centers around a king named gilgamesh and gilgamesh is a fellow that may have actually existed very much like king arthur right he's kind of a mythical character but there might have been a king arthur we don't really know he may have lived around he was probably the first the sorry the fifth ruler of the first dynasty of uruk around 2750 bc we know this because there's a king list that kind of lists Hmm. the Hmm. king's and he is listed, and guess how long his reign was? 10 years. 126 years. No, that doesn't sound quite right. That's a long time. That's a long time. I think the historical Gilgamesh, if I'm thinking right, was kind of a warmonger. He took mm. over some other towns. He was a big, successful king. He fought a lot. That was kind of his deal, uh, as far as we know. But but this king list is supposed to be like an actual list of the kings, right? As far as they're concerned, yes. <laughs> and I, modern scholars say there's no way he could have reigned that long. But yeah. in the Bible, they record all kinds of... Ages that are way past 126 years, and they just sort of filter down until common ages. I wonder what the deal with that is. If it's, I wonder if it's a symbolic thing. We don't need to talk about it, but I'm just. I've heard that is something that I've never put to bed in my own mind. Is it a symbolic thing that they're doing, or is it some sort of? Is there actually a biological thing going on that is that like the decay of just the decay of from like Garden of Eden to now? Our timelines are getting short. I don't know. I've heard. I've heard theories about a cloud cover that yeah. pretty much cl- covered everything and then once the cloud cover rained down in the flood more radiation could reach the human dna and it started breaking down faster yeah but, but i mean there's 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 sort of all these theories but true like, uh, i mean scientifically like can I, clouds make you live forever because if so we just <laughs> we invented the next james bond company. what's our what's gonna be our name um, um it's gonna be uh it's gonna be called cloud. um <laughs> Like Clouder, but it's C L D R. I like this. Okay, good. Uh, We're looking for. Uh, I mean, I've heard masters. those theories. Uh, anyone that actually knows science out there is probably just rolling around, like just. Furious if you're looking in their car. to be a uh, seed capitalist into our new venture, please email <laughs> Clouder. us at classical at Clouder. Please email us at classical stuff at veritasacademy.net so, for series A startup? funding. Should we be nervous about this? Do you think that startup actually exists? Oh, probably. I don't. I think the modern tendency to discount ancient man and yeah. think the things mm-hmm. he said that are hard for us to believe must have been lies or, or symbolic, yeah. I think is incredibly arrogant. hubristic yeah. and mm-hmm. arrogant, yeah, yeah. right? I think it's much easier to take the, take it at face value and say, we probably just don't know what was going on. Yeah. Or maybe they were measuring things by a different time. I don't know. I'm, but when they put 126 years, that's not a vague number. Yeah, that's, that's pretty, not two hundred years. Mm-hmm. That's real specific. And the and the even weirder thing is, I think his dad. And I'm I'm remembering this, so don't take sure, this sure. as absolutely true. Email I think AJ. his dad <laughs> reigned for something like thirty six years. Mm. Oh, and so okay. it's like the king list isn't like a hundred, hundred and fifty, two hundred. It's like 
36, 126. Yeah. Like 12. Like it's it's recording at least that's a what, few <clears throat> straight up ages. And that's in the same vein of that of fantasy that we were talking about before. Like I kind of like the idea that it's like um, it, it's believable numbers of years that they were leading. And then there's this like mystical story in the middle of it. And then it continues because it's the same, like the purpose of King Arthur is to give this um, history to the people of England in the same way um, Gilgamesh is giving this history to the people of um, say Uruk was the name of the city, but this, this history of the Babylonians. So I, I kind of like the, the mingling of, you know, quote unquote history and myth with uh, Gilgamesh. Yeah. So all these people lived in the Fertile Crescent. It was a good place to farm. Way in the distance were cedar forests. Yeah, if you wanted, if it's called Fertile Crescent, I mean, be like yeah. you're buying land there. Yeah. <laughs> if you wanted to build big houses, though, you kind of needed straight trees, and straight trees were kind of mm. hard to come by, mm. right? Even in for us Texans, right? We have a yeah. lot of straight trees. Mm. We got yeah. like oak, and man, oak does not want to grow you straight. Gotta, yeah, you get your weird mesquite shacks. Yeah. Are they what? I'm just assuming, like you know, shacks made of mesquite. Yeah, think mm. about it. Mm. You just say it would be all like gnarly. And not in the, like, <laughs> not in the surfer, not in the surfer, sense. not in the surfer way. <laughs> it's not gnarly. It's gnarly. gnarly. Hit it. Oh, uh, <laughs> all right. So let me, let me sort of jump into the tale here if I yeah. can. So Gilgamesh was the legendary builder of Uruk's walls. That's kind of how the tale opens. They're like, dude, Gilgamesh, good king, built some wicked walls. And awesome. now it's easy to it's hey, easy to need, discount those. Walls, That's man. a big but, deal, sure. I mean, think about it. If I'm if I'm a king and resources are scarce, which they often were, especially nice straight trees, and and Graham over here has some nice straight trees, and I know I've got more people than he does. If I, I just wait until it's nighttime and he doesn't have walls, I can just walk in and I'm kill trouble. everyone. I'm in trouble. Right? He's in trouble. All the I have trees. to do is go take it. <laughs> Beautiful spruce. Yeah, sometimes I don't know if there were standing armies, mm. and so you had to pull from the men of the town to make that. And when they weren't fighting, they were farming. And Leave so, me alone. <laughs> so walls were important is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And so building good walls for your town meant safety. It meant solidity. It meant that you could grow while everyone else was fighting and dying. And then maybe you make some money for your town. And like it's like, walk along it. Touch it. Aren't the bricks awesome? <laughs> really? They go into it? Oh, yeah. Uh, it really goes into detail about how great these walls are. those walls, yeah. But it turns out uh, Gilgamesh is kind of a jerk. Like, mm. he's, he's a tyrant. And we don't exactly know how he was stealing their rest, but he really is stealing the rest of every dude in town. Wait, they just can't. That's just what it says. It says he steals their rest. Pretty much that he annoys them night and day. And it could be that th- work, there's a few different theories, like either he's working really hard right. or he's taking them for his armies, or maybe he w- likes to play games mm. and all day he wants to just play games and mm. the games are kind of violent. And so they're, all the dudes are tired and all the ladies are caring for the dudes that are falling apart because he likes to play games. In any case, he's really hard on his people. Mm. And he also subscribes to the tradition of prima nocta. You guys know what that is? Mm-hmm. Yep. For our listener, that means that he has conjugal rights with the bride prior to the husband, right? On the night of the wedding, which is not like, that's not okay. Nope. And so he is, he is not a solid guy. He's an okay king. They're not dying. Does, does the, does the um, poem actually judge him for it? Like, um, oh yeah, and the gods yeah. do too. Okay, cool. They they immediately say like, "Look, we've got to solve this problem." Everyone in Uruk is like, "Hey, gods, can you help us out? This guy's kind of the worst." And so they decide to make a new man. And Gilgamesh, by the way, is a demigod. His ma- his mother is Ninsun, which is like I think a cow god. 
or goddess. It's a bummer. It actually says he's two thirds god and one third man, and I'm not exactly sure how, how those, works. How those ratios sort of yeah. shake down. <laughs> but I'm not going to ask any questions. I'm just going to leave it leave it at that. Yeah. Um, and he's supposed to be very handsome. In in the ancient world, that often came with kingship, right? You were right. big, strong, handsome, good fighter, and wise. All that was sort of expected of kingship. Didn't always happen, mm-hmm. but sure. it was it was a bonus if you had it. Yeah. So they pray to the gods, and the gods say, "Look." We'll just make somebody to be his equal, to sort, so he can sort of take out his energies on it. And so they make a guy named Enkaidu, and Enkaidu lives in the woods. He's super hairy, like cattle, and he runs around with gazelles, and he hangs out, hangs out the water holes, and he's basically, basically a wild man. Mm. And if you remember back to the creation stories, he's almost like a replication of the first man. Mm. He's wild. He's hairy. He didn't have a mother. They actually make him out of clay. And it, which mirrors almost the creation stories of Genesis. And it's going to mirror it a little more in a second. So there's a trapper that sees Enkaidu, and Enkaidu helps the animals. He, like, digs up the traps, and he... Oh, we got a wine and poor wine and dog downstairs. Uh, so he's digging up the traps. He's filling in the holes. He won't let the trapper do his job. And remember, Enkaidu is enormous. He's mm-hmm. meant to tangle with Gilgamesh, who's the strongest guy ever. So did, what was the reason that the gods decided to make Enkaidu again? Just, we're going to give someone Gil, for Gilgamesh to... He's, he's a, they, they say stormy heart for stormy heart. Mm-hmm. They're going to be best buds and, and sort of like expend their energies on each other mm-hmm. rather than taking out all those youthful energies on the people of the town. Gotcha. And so the trapper's like, I got to solve this problem. So he goes to his dad and he's like, look, man, this guy's making my job really hard. What do I do? And the dad says, look, you need to go find Shamhat. Shamhat is a temple prostitute. And so he goes and he talks to Gilgamesh and he's like, Gilgamesh, I need some help. I need one of your temple prostitutes. And Gilgamesh is like, ah, you need Shamhat. And wow. Shamhat is a name that pretty much means pretty well set up bodily. Like mm. you're, you're pretty good looking. And so she goes and she entraps Gilgamesh or entraps Enkaidu in the way that one might expect, right? Being a temple prostitute and being pretty well set up bodily. And so they hang out for a while. And then he has, in this instance... I bet the ninth graders just love this book. <laughs> oh, yeah. It is the most awkward thing. And we usually skip the page and they, they all but, but go they back it. and read yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think I've ever had a ninth grader honestly skip that page. I try. Uh, Hennenberg told us not to read it. <laughs> oh, no, I actually try to downplay it so it's not even, mm. like, on their radar. And I'm like, and now we're going to skip to this spot right here. And then I hear, like, three or four giggling in the corner. And they, I'm like, all right, they found it. That's, <laughs> oh, no. Whatever. So he hangs out with the prostitute lady. And now when he tries to return to the, the beasts, he can't. They shun him because he's mm. basically become human. And it says, mm. like, you've grown wise, right? You have become now an actual man. And then he goes and he eats some bread and he has some wine. And at first he doesn't even know how to eat bread because he's used to living off the milk of beasts. And then he has a lot of wine and he gets a little drunk. And then after a while, like he's living with the shepherds, he's doing them solids, right? He's helping them out. He's help like fighting off wolves, off their sheep. He becomes a shepherd. And yeah, then a they, beast man would seem like a good thing to have on to hand if you were a shepherd. shepherd. Yep. And he was the guy with kind of the night watch. He fought yep. off all the wolves at night. Perfect. And after a while, they see a guy walking past and, and Kaidu says, bring that guy over here. I want to because Shamhat's still there. She, mm. she, st- she sticks around. He says, bring that guy over. I want to see what the deal is. And the guy says, I'm going to a wedding, but it's the worst because Gilgamesh has been taking all the brides. And it's it's really hard. And Enkaidu is furious. Yep. He mm. loses it. And so he heads back to the town. Because of the taking of the brides? Yeah. he's It's not okay. And also he wants to show that he's stronger than Gilgamesh and he's the best thing around. And so he stands in the doorway when Gilgamesh is heading in to take his rights. And he says, it's not going to happen, buddy. And so they fight. 
<laughs> and they fight and they fight really hard and they like knock some doors down and they make a big mess in town and then Gilgamesh throws in Kaidu and he wins. What? So now if you are one of those men, what attitude are you going to have right after this? So you let's say Seriously. let's say if you're Seriously. if you're a king and you've been like just lording it over everybody. You're probably 22. You're flipping jacked. Mm-hmm. You're smart, you're wise, you can have anything you want. You've been doing this and all of a sudden this huge hairy dude that's as big as you and as young as you stands in your way and says no way buddy and then you wrestle and he's actually kind of awesome at it what how, how do you feel mad don't you want to kill the guy maybe but you, if you, first of all you sort of beat him so right. yeah you, you feel like you can one-up him so maybe you're like you won't be my friend well, that's what happens, isn't it? Don't, yeah. yeah. I mean, they, they oh, instantly, yeah, they instantly yeah. sort of high five and say like friendship sealed. <laughs> it's like the end of a hockey fight. <laughs> yeah, it really is. They're instant friends. It's like the end of those eighties movies where they yeah. jump and high five <laughs> and it freeze frames. And that's what happens. They become best friends. And then they're sort of hanging out and, uh, they decide to go on a trip to talk to this forest guardian named Humbaba. And this is where it gets a little weird. Okay. Listener, stick with me. This is where it gets weird. Yeah. <laughs> We're not even the weirdest, weirdest stuff yet. Good. Uh, so they go to fight this forest guardian named Humbaba. Now Humbaba watches the cedar forest way off in the distance. And basically Gilgamesh thinks, I want to set myself up for antiquity. I mm. want everyone to know my name forever. And the way I'm going to do that is by killing this guy. And... <laughs> There's a dog, and he's roaming around. <laughs> we got to fix this. Classical dogs, you should know. Uh, classical dogs. So if you just hear a dog, he's he's up here hanging out with us, and he's probably going to go sit in the corner and pant a little bit. Hope so. Real yeah. hot. His name is Doc. He's a great dog. Okay, so they're going to go kill this guy named Humbaba, and he he's really powerful. He's an ogre of some sort. It doesn't ever really make clear what his dangers are. He has, like, auras that are troublesome. And, and Kaidu pretty much says, look, man, I know that guy. Don't do it. Oh. There's no reason to. And the gods are kind of like, that's not a good idea. And the elders of the town say that's not really a good idea. And yet Gilgamesh insists. He's and, like, I'm big. I'm huge. Don't be a weakling. Let's go. But Humbaba's not like bugging anyone. Just kind of no. hangs out in the forest. Yeah, just hangs out in the forest. He's not a big deal. And then, so they go and they get a bunch of weapons and they travel. And, and this is where <clears throat> it's very much like Beowulf in that they travel like, what would be a month's journey like during <laughs> the, the morning. There, yeah. Like they, they hike really fast. And on the way, Gilgamesh has a bunch of scary dreams. They get there and they attack Humbaba. And Humbaba says, like, and Kaidu, I know you. What, what's the deal? Why you do me like this? Yeah, why you do me like this? <laughs> Stop Gilgamesh, because they catch him sort of before he has his terrors on and he can't really defend himself. And he says like, Stop Gilgamesh from doing this. And I think he even promises, like, hey, man, I'll build you a palace. You mm. leave me alone. And Enkaidu says, kill him fast. Like, you got to kill. Don't trust his words. We got to ice him. So they put him on ice. And then they try to kind of hide it from the gods because this mm. really isn't okay. They know they shouldn't be doing this. And the most recent tablet found actually highlights this even more. Oh. That Humbaba is sort of in his palace and the creatures are praising him and the birds love him and it's all great. And then these two yokels show up and decide oh. to wreck the whole thing. That's and then dope. they... So they sail back with a bunch of cedars and Humbaba's head. It's like frat bros. Yeah. Just like like bros being bros, just doing things they shouldn't be doing and... Trying to hide it. After. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and this kind of sets the gods against them. Yeah. And then when they get back, uh, Ishtar... So Ishtar is the goddess of love and war, which isn't surprising as that those two things would coincide in a mm-hmm. goddess, yeah. right? You guys have... You guys <laughs> both have wives. Not saying anything about I your wives. Your guys' wives are no great, comment. but yeah. it's just you know conflict might be a part of marriage. 
What? Uh, so he's talking about yours right now, Graham. <laughs> um, uh, you don't get pearls without uh, breaking um, a few pressure? clams. Is that no without oh. uh, uh, friction? I don't know. Like with the, no, like there's got to the be sand, like a little sand. The, sand the little sand needs to. Are you making up a, pro- a proverb? Yeah, right I'm now? trying to okay. proverbially get my way out of this. <laughs> uh, so Ishtar sees him and she's like, "Dang, Gilgamesh, you hot!" Oh, oh wow. Ishtar. And she says, hey, man, you want to be my husband? I'll build you this crazy house and give you this, some sweet chariots. And he, he says, no, because all oh. of your previous lovers... She oh. doesn't have a great record with yeah. dudes. Mm, I mean, I'm she's sure. a goddess of love and, and war. war. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she's got kind of an insatiable appetite for both. She was also usually the patron goddess of the town. Like, most oh. towns really <laughs> liked Ishtar. <laughs> yeah. And... He basically says, no, every other lover you've ever had, you've hurt or broken his leg or turned him into a dolphin or whatever you do. None of it's good. So I'm going to say no. So she cries to her dad and says, Gilgamesh is saying all this slander about me. And the dad says, well, (laughs) he's kind of right. It's not slander. if It's true. (laughs) Honey, you did kind of bring that on yourself, didn't you? And she is livid with the whole situation. So she says, give me the bull of heaven, which in this case is sort of a representation of famine, Mm. right? Give me the bull of heaven, or I will smash the doors of hell and let all the zombies loose. Oh, wow. And they'll walk around with the living, and there will be no differentiation. And dad's like, that's probably a bad thing. But bad. you got to make sure they got enough food to live. And she's like, we've already saved it up. Give me, give me the big bull of heaven. So she takes it down and tries to kill Gilgamesh with it, but he slays it. Oh, the bull of heaven? The bull of heaven. That's and, cool. and it's awesome, because when the bull stamps his, f- he's, I think he snorts, and 100 people die, <laughs> and then he stamps his foot, and 200 people die. Like, people dying all over the place. Yeah. And then Enkaidu jumps on it, like, grabs it by the tail, and then Gilgamesh stabs it in the head. <laughs> they just <laughs> kind of dispatch it really quickly. And then they carve it up, oh, and then... Barbecue! Yeah, seriously. And they, they take a ham hock and they throw it at Ishtar, who's crying on the wall right now. Aww. And he's like, and I think it's in Kaidu that says, if I get my hands on you, I'd do the same thing. And I'd cover your hands with guts. And he's like, they, they make fun of her and she's not having a good day after that. Does she get hit by the ham hock? Uh, yeah. And oh, then God. and then her and her serving women sort of cry over oh. it because it was this beautiful bull of heaven. Not no more. And then he takes the horns and donates them to the temple. Oh, so that's, All right. that's a good thing, right? So now you're the gods. How do you feel about these two oh, dudes? This is, we had a problem. But, I don't know. Like, they just kind of honored the gods with the um, bull sacrifice, right? The horns. That's kind of a good thing. They're in the temple, but I don't know if they really honored the... Oh. Yeah. In any case, they're not, not happy. We made Enkaidu to try to, like, keep Gilgamesh under control. And now he, they're just, like, running, running shop on everything. Yeah, they're kind of doing things they shouldn't really do. So... They say one of them has to die, and it's oh. and they kind of come to the conclusion it's gonna it's gonna be Enkaidu, right? So Enkaidu has a dream; he knows he's gonna die. And by the way, death in ancient Samaria is bad. Oh, hell is a it's under the earth. It's literally a cave with like bird weird winged bird people that watch you, and you have no clothes, and all day you eat dust. And it this is where everyone goes. This isn't just for the bad people. Uh, yeah, everybody goes here. So dying is not not a positive for any human being. Yep. Um, so Enkaidu knows that it's a problem and he laments and he starts cursing everyone. He curses Shamhat, he curses the gate, he curses his life, he curses the gods and then he kind of takes it all back when he realizes that he's being unreasonable and then he dies. And Gilgamesh, who is still a young man, just lost his best friend. Yeah. He loses it. I bet. I mean, think about it. You you said they were frat bros, bros right? Yeah. They're, I mean, that's essentially what they are yeah. and he's never really thought about death and he just lost his best friend. And so he has a crisis. 
and he thinks, what just happened to my best bud is going to happen to me, and I got to stop that from happening. So he gets his stuff together, and he leaves on Mm. a journey to find eternal life. He leaves his town, he leaves his people, and he starts looking around, and he travels all the way to remember those two mountains I told you about Mm. that kind of separate the realm of the gods from man. And there he meets the keepers of the way, and they are scorpion men, half scorpion, half men. That's kind of cool. Oh, it's really cool. Yeah. But better than that, they turn out to be like super nice. <laughs> they're just the nicest guys ever. <laughs> I think partially because he's he is divine, right. so they're allowed to let him through, right? He's got divine blood in him. And they're kind of guardians, but they're like, hey man, what's your story? And he says, <laughs> my friend just died and I'm super sad. And I've been oh. on this journey and I just, I want to find the secret to eternal life. And they're like, oh, that is rough. You know, it's wicked dark in those mountains. And he's like, yeah, I do. They're like, all right, good luck, buddy. So he goes <laughs> he goes through. through the mountains and yeah. it takes him some while, but he gets to the other side. And by this time, the sun god, his kind of patron, has already told him that he's not going to find it. Oh. You're not going to get eternal life, buddy. Hmm. He gets through and he meets a goddess named Siduri, who's sort of the tavern keeper, god, goddess of oh. wine. And we're in sort of a garden of jewels. Like everything is jewels. It, he is in the realm of the gods. And she says, what's your story? She actually thinks he's a felon at oh. first. So she shuts the door and then climbs on her roof and talks to him from the roof. Like, what's your story? He says, well, I've lost my best friend. I'm looking for eternal life. And she's like, you're not really, you're not really going to find it. Mm. But I'll tell you, you know, how you can maybe find out. He's going to find the ancient Noah, a guy named Uta Napishtim. He was the guy that survived the flood. And the story is actually really very similar. Build an ark, survive. Afterwards, you know, you're you get to live on. And that was, that was his story. And so he hmm. goes and he finds the boatman of Utanapishtim named Urshanabi. And I think this is one of the first instances of the classical character, Charon, hmm. C-H-A-R-O-N, who shows up in Greek mythology all the time. He's the infernal boatman. He ferries yep. people across the way. But Gilgamesh, he doesn't have a lot of sense, right? He, he threatens to force the answers out of everybody. And so he says, he, he sees Urshanabi with his crew, the stone ones who are impervious to the waters of death, right? They're made out of stone, so that doesn't really hurt them. Yeah. And he just goes and kills them all. And then he finds Urshanabi and he's like, Urshanabi, take me across. Tell me how to do it. Urshanabi's like, you, you <laughs> killed my crew. Right. Now I can't do it. I can't go now. And in one translation, Gilgamesh is like, I still don't get it. How, why can't we sail? And he's like, because your hands killed my crew <laughs> and he's like uh can you explain it better i like, think there'd be a test <laughs> yeah <laughs> i didn't really think it through so he he's forced to go and cut a bunch of poles so he can do the job oh, himself mm. yeah they hop in the boat and he like once the pole's in he can't use it again so he pulls himself and pushes the boat and wow. then he's got to use the next one and eventually he runs out of poles right. and so in what is mm. my maybe my favorite scene of gilgamesh he takes off his shirt and then holds it up like a sail <laughs> and just sort of holds his shirt and sails all the way to Uta Napishtim. That's good. Who stands on the shore and he's like, I don't recognize that guy. <laughs> and he's not one of mine and he's not a stone man. So Gilgamesh shows up and he comes off and he's like, Uta Napishtim, you, which is my shirt to get here. <laughs> I had to use my shirt to get here. And he's, and, he, and every time he talks to somebody, he tells the whole story. Right. I've been on this journey. I'm, I'm all like weathered because my friend died and I'm really sad and I'm, I'm scared to die. I don't want to die. And Uta Napishtim says, he, he kind of tells his story. He says, well, what happened was that we were being noisy and the gods mm. didn't like it. So they decided to kill all of us. But one of the gods had mercy and to- gave me a warning. And so I dodged the bullet. 
And afterwards, I sent up a, an offering and they liked it. And and I'm really sort of dumbing this down here, yeah. but basically they took me and exempted me from death. It basically said, I get to be like a god now and then instituted certain death for every other man. I, the implication is kind of that before this, men would only die from disease mm. or accident and that they set the date that men would die, like after the flood. But he was exempted. Oh. So cool. he's been living on this island way off in the realm of the gods by himself. But that's the thing is it's a one-time deal. He's the only one that gets to live forever. He's the only one that gets to live forever. It's not a repeatable instance. It's not something you can do again. And so Gilgamesh is shattered by this news, right. Right, obviously. And he's like, you, you want to do this thing? Prove that you can stay awake for five days. Something like that. Seven days. I forget the number. Gilgamesh instantly falls asleep. <laughs> and and so they bake bread to place next to his head to count time. Because they don't really have clocks, right? If he wakes up, he'd be like, I was not sleeping for five days. And he does. He sleeps for like five whole days. And so the loaves of bread just go totally nasty. But you can see the progression of time. It's funny. And then he's like, he wakes up and Udinapishtim gives him kind of this big speech. And part number one is basically saying, kings dress good and you're not dressed well. Basically, you're playing the part of the fool, right? Not the part of a king. And you've left your people. You're not doing the things of a king. You're not caring for your men. You're not caring for your wife. You are not being kingly. Hmm. And lastly, this errand you're on to find eternal life, it's a fool's errand. You can't do it. Yeah. And then he says, weirdly, he's like, but there's a flower under the ocean that might give you oh, youth yeah. again. So there's, there's a way. Kinda, huh. yeah. So, but I, but I think he knows that Gilgamesh isn't gonna end up keeping it. So Gilgamesh swims under, grabs the flower, and he's like, "Yes, I'm gonna go test it on the old people and see if it works, and then try it myself, and mm -hmm. I'll be young again." And then he, uh, on the way home, bathes once, and a snake steals the flower. Oh, such a bummer! And sheds his skin, and the snake is like, "I'm young," and then <laughs> <laughs> takes off, <laughs> which I think is an explanation of how sh why sh snakes shed their skin. So it's kind of adorable, and Gilgamesh is like. Flipping dang it! <laughs> he, he's like, I can't believe it. Uh, but on the on a bonus note, Udinapishtim gave him like gave him clothes that wouldn't wear down oh. until he got home, which oh. is kind of like a symbol of renewal of mind, right? He's become mm -hmm. wise. He also banned Urshanabi, the boatman, from ever coming back, which is a bummer. Mm. Urshanabi's like, well, flipping lost my job. <laughs> Gilgamesh stinking. So he travels with Gilgamesh on oh, the really? way back. And back. then yeah. at the very end, they reach Uruk, and Gilgamesh takes Urshanabi and he's like check out my walls, bro. <laughs> and that's, and that's kind of how the tale that's ends. Really? Yeah, that's it. That's the story. Yeah. It's a guy that was kind of a tyrant, got a best friend, lost awesome. the best friend, yeah. and then had this huge crisis of existential. Like ex ex he had an existential crisis, mm -hmm. right? It's the story of a football player learning that mm. he is one day going to die. Nothing against football players. Um, but you're, you're like standard stereotypical meathead having that realization. Yeah. And isn't it touching that humanity's oldest story deals with humanity's greatest questions, Yep. right? That how do we deal with the fact that we're going to die? And that kind of wisdom that it is better not to search after futile, like futilely search after immortality, to seek these things that you'll never get, to waste your life on these adventures trying to find something that can't be yours when you've got a wife at home, when you've got kids, when there's bread and wine to be drunk and partying to be done, and you have a job and you're a king and you should be guiding your people and yep. building walls and sort of, so when he returns and shows the walls, it's not a silly or bad thing. He's returning and sort of reveling in the good work that he's done 
and returning to domestic life. I mean, that's that's mm. the theme of the tale is that he has grown up. It's the moment when he sort of gives up on that dream of eternal life and settles settles down at mm. home. And strangely enough, he does become a deity in the underworld. Wait, really? Yeah, his mom knows it's going to happen. And she's like, isn't he going to be a deity later when she's about to send him off on the journey to Humbaba and the sun gods of Brunei? Like, yeah, he, he's <laughs> going to be, be fine. So he becomes a ruler of the underworld, but it's still in the underworld. So, so he's not, like a frat bro. Great. He's got his like job set up for him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> all through family connection. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, seriously, Man, it's the worst. All right. So do you guys have any have any thoughts concerning the tale or questions? Oh, there there was one other question, big question I have for you, but I'll ask that after you give basic thoughts. So I mean, what happens? So when Kaidu just he dies. Yeah. And Kaidu Is there any under under underworld story where? Gilgamesh gets to meet in Kaidu or in Kaidu comes back and is like, like grow up. Like <laughs> not in the literature I've read. It could very well be that there are some poems out there that deal with it. There mm-hmm. is a, like I said, there is a wealth of Gilgamesh literature. A lot of it's jokes. And, mm-hmm. and the other, Oh, the other thing I wanted to tell it's you jokes. Is that what you just said? Yeah. Some of it's, what are some Gil- of it's jokes. What are some like knock, knock Gil- Gilgamesh knock, knock jokes. I don't like what is <laughs> knock, knock. Who's there? Eventual death. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> The other thing I wanted to tell you, and this this is going to real really treat you, I think, is that a lot of those tablets that we found, uh-huh. guess where they came from? Uh, the place you were talking Iraq. Well, Iraq, no, but no. scriptoriums, they, they were gathered from places where students were trained, oh, copyists. Schools. Classical, classical and schools. And most of those tablets were found in the homes of their instructors or in the schools themselves. That's so cool. So we know the curriculum and we even have their old jokes like, (laughs) I went down the hall and they asked for a hall pass. I didn't have one so they beat me. I went to get some water. I didn't have a pass so they beat me. And then he was like, you're speaking in Akkadian, not Sumerian. So they beat me. And like they're little poems by students. And so like graded papers are the things that have saved ancient literature for us. And so next time your students turn in papers, you can be like, look, guys, when the world goes down in flames, when the the EMP hits, the most common written record is going to be student papers. So how good do you feel about what you just turned in? Because it might be what they try to decipher. Sorry, some British adventurer is going to come and take this. and They're uh, going to reconstruct the Iliad from quotations from my essays. <laughs> oh, gosh. Were you all telling me about this? There's a there's a um, sci-fi book, like a dystopian book, that is basically that. It's um, the world ends and they're trying to piece together these old um, classical works. But it's like it, it's from student papers that they're doing. No, I, I don't. I, I think it's, it's no. the last couple of years. I can't, yeah, I can't remember the name. But I mean, yeah. I think it's hilarious yeah. that that might be the case. And I'll be like, do you want to take another crack at it before it goes down in history as your work yeah. and your names on it? <laughs> uh, so I think that's fun. My yeah. other big question is, this is a tale of the deluge that was written down right roundabouts near when the Exodus happened. Mm-hmm. And the deluge tale from the scriptures is written down near that same time. By uh, At least we, uh, we think so by Moses right around 1400. But the tale is from far, far, far earlier. Mm-hmm. How do you as a Christian deal with that knowledge that there is a flood narrative that is perhaps far older than that in the scriptures? So I read the Epic of Gilgamesh in high school, and the way they talked about it is that that flood was evidence of um, the biblical flood. You're saying the hang up of that is they have it at two different times? No, the they the flood is recorded in both places. I'm saying this record, the Gilgamesh 
myth is older than that we find in the scripture, or at least it appears to be the records we have are far older. Yeah. And the, uh, it, it appears to be an older account that is different. Then to me, it just signals that at some point in the ancient world, there was a massive flood and multiple civilizations had different ways of talking about that flood. Um, cause it, the thing that's weird is like, okay, so you would think if they were recording the same event, they would have the same character names, right? Isn't that kind of the problem mm-hmm. of the story? Um, well, different languages. Well, there it is. So, um, But there, there are also other variations. Like the reason they kill them, in, the, the flood comes in the Gilgamesh narrative is because humans are stinking noisy and mm-hmm. won't shut their dang mouths up. And they're proliferating too fast. And so they kill them all. And it's not even a happy thing for the gods. They're like, oh, we really stepped over our bounds there. Well, that's the Noah flood, too. It's like God looks him. God looks, and he sees, what is it, the Nephilim? He sees the angels breeding with men. And then there's, you know. There's there, lots of evil. There's lots of evil. And God's like, ah, dang it. And uh, he regretted what he had, he regretted what he had made. Yep. So, I mean, it's. Yeah. yeah, similar. Similar story. Um, I, This does not doesn't rock get, my boat. No. It doesn't rock your eyes. No. It rocked mine a little bit. I remember reading it in high school and being, and um, there was no introduction. It was like, you know, this is your reading for tomorrow. And it was like reading, reading it. It's like reading the, um, the account from the Bible. Like it, it is shocking the similarities between the stories themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do remember having that moment um, of like, why are there two of them? Um, I, don't, I don't think those are the only two recorded worldwide floods. I think there are others from antiquity, which if I were better prepared, I would actually know about. Um, but again, I do think that presence of multiple stories would point to either there having been an actual flood, which I think is a good thing, right? That would point to the historicity of the Ark. Um, oh, I think it happened. Right. I, I'm not. I'm not married to the idea of it being a worldwide flood because for them, oh, when sure. they say it covered the world, well, their their world was like to the mountains. Right. So, are you saying that like it rocked your boat because you thought that maybe Exodus was just stealing the story? Right. I mean, if this if this other it's one possible, came first, stealing or. It's using other sources yeah, or, yeah. you know, it just calls into question the primacy and inerrancy of scripture. Mm-hmm. But that's only if scripture is inerrant because like someone sat down in a room with no access to the outside and a voice from heaven told them what to write. Right. Like that's not how the gospels were written. That's not how I, don't know, I just like something can be. Like God can use human things to, um, to make His story known. It doesn't have to be this like, um, like a voice, like like write this thing and don't change any of the words. Um, I don't know. It, I I understand that that is that that can be like a, a sticking point for lots of people, but um, uh, the idea that like God saved the world by becoming a human. It does not surprise me that God communicates himself by using human things, which is mm. so, humans writing stories. Such as this story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so that, yeah. But I can see, yes, I... Mm-hmm. The, way, the way that I reconciled it was a fewfold. Number one, I mean, it's, it's going to be oral narrative right. before it gets written down either way, mm-hmm. right? And I know that the Semitic peoples tend to be very scrupulous about the way they keep their records, uh, oral or otherwise. That's one thing that lends credence to me. The other one is that the biblical narrative, and for those of you listeners, I, I usually subscribe to inerrancy of scripture. And usually, or I mean, I, I subscribe often? to it. Yeah, every once in a while. Yeah, and unless it's telling <clears throat> me to change, <laughs> <laughs> unless it's saying something I really don't like, in which case 
you know, that's cultural. Uh, <laughs> in this case, there so are a few good. things that lend, I think, credence to the story in the scripture. One is details, right? Details hmm. of the size, length, construction of the boat. There's a lot of things in there that aren't just like, he built a boat, but like he built a boat and it was 30 feet long and it had this much pitch and it took this long. But more than that, we have genealogies, Mm -hmm. which add another level of credence to it. And even more than that, like the thing that really sticks with me is that after the, uh, after the flood happened, Noah like finished, he was there with his family. He had just seen everyone he knew die. And what does he do? Do you remember? Drunk. He gets wicked stinking yeah. trashed he gets drunk and that is not like that doesn't glorify him utanapishtim comes out looking pretty good mm. noah it's it's a really human moment and the kind of thing that you probably wouldn't record if you were trying to set up noah to be a hero yep and he gets drunk and like lays falls asleep naked and his kids are like oh man that's and so they kind of have to cover him up and it's this really embarrassing thing at the end of like this passage that seems to glorify him as one of the last righteous men existing Mm -hmm. and so that for me just says like look they're not it doesn't seem like they're trying to gloss over anything so you would say that the gilgamesh one is more likely to have been fabricated is a strong word but um less accurate to what actually happened yeah sure i I mean had more details changed um yeah it it seems like it to me and i've i've read other flood narratives there's one in ovid that has the guy read like creating more people by chucking rocks behind him afterwards and like there's just weird things that add to it but that that really human moment of noah getting drunk and then falling asleep and like that that lends a little credence to me anyway is that how you talk about it with your students yeah if they have questions does it does it boggle their mind to i think sometimes it can for me i mean also just the presence of more flood narratives kind of gives a little bit of heft to the story like some something happened right if that went down and if they have a list of kings and they're enumerating them since the flood, like flood happened. This was the first king afterwards. This was right. the set. Like it's, it's a thing that happened. It's just, you know, what are the details is the question. Mm, I like that. Yeah. I like that. Too. Yeah. That, that Gilgamesh is, is about these deeper, like that we can still relate to the story of Gilgamesh. I think is the most interesting thing of it. Yes. Yeah, that issues of friendship, issues of, of life and death, um, issues of being bros. Like those are still things that resonate with us today. Um, yeah. And, it's, it's easy to toss out ancient man just because they write a little bit different and they spend yep. more time in the temple as really fundamentally different from us and that we're so far progressed. But really, they like his biggest question is, what do I how do I deal with the notion that I will one day die? Yeah. Which is, I think, the fundamental question of all pretty much all philosophy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, that's, that's really good. That's my story for today. And so his conclusion is. Go home and like do your job. Yeah, you're going to die like deal with it. Yeah. And it's kind of a harrowing, yep. it's a really hard pill to swallow sure. for Gilgamesh and for a bunch of others, but and for that, ninth graders right. and for ninth graders. And I mean the same, the same kind of ideas and for ninth grade teachers echoed in Ecclesiastes and sure. a bunch of other that are wisdom literature of the time is basically like, look, death happens. You, it is better to live your life rather than chase after ways to get out of it. Is this cool. the first thing you read with your ninth graders? Yeah. Man, what a way to start. <laughs> yeah, it's real rough. Yeah. I mean, first I make them memorize the prepositions, which, you know, <laughs> I, I want to beat the spirit out of them before mm-hmm. I go That's any good. further. Mm-hmm. You know the song? Above, below, beyond, begone. I don't know. Nope. I, I do it with Memory Palace. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I think you've done that before on the podcast. Yep. Um, for all of our bewildered and amused listeners. Yep. Okay. That's, uh, that's cool. it for me. Well, this has been Classical Stuff You Should Know uh, with Graham... Thomas and AJ, and 
the spirit of Gilgamesh. Uh, uh, yes. Um, hope he's doing well. Oh, one last <laughs> detail that's really cool that I want to throw in there about the creation of man. So mm-hmm. when they created men to be servants out of clay, well, they had to give them life somehow. So they killed one of the gods Ooh. and like used his blood to infuse life into the clay. Wow. But because they didn't want to kill one of the good gods, they killed one of the <laughs> dumb ones. So he was the rebellion god and they kind of, they smoked him. And that explains a lot about why we're kind of lazy and rebellious mm. and cantankerous and angry is because the material they used for creation was like Dwayne, the it was rebellious the, god. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they just defeated him. And so they're like, well, we can just make the workers out of this guy. And so, But that also explains the eternal soul ah. because there's the divine blood, the little piece mm. that was in every mm-hmm. man. And so we can live forever. Isn't okay. that kind of cool? That is kind of cool. Like um, this is classical stuff you should know. You can email us at classical stuff at veritasacademy.net. You can find us on classicalstuff.net. You can tweet us, tweet, tweet us, tweet at us at classical stuff. Yep. Um, and dot Twitter. Stop. Yeah. Still not right. <laughs> it's not right. Um, if you, yeah, maybe, or if you want to write a fun fan fiction story about that eternal snake. Yeah. Or that stink that got the flower and uh, can now live forever. Or about um, what Urshanabi did after losing his position as the infernal boatman. What's he going to do? I mean, what like, kind of job does... He a, lost all of his stone man bros and his boat was wrecked and... But he's back in Uruk now, right? Doesn't he come back? I guess, okay. but he's been a boat... Like, if you've spent that long as the infernal boatman with people <laughs> made out of stone, I wonder if your people skills are really killing it. It's yeah. true. Yeah. I wonder what his resume is like or his, <laughs> like, his job skills. Boated. Um, <laughs> just in big font. Um, and again, if you want to invest seed capital, Series A funding into Clouder, yeah. our uh, Eternal Life, Eternal um, Life yeah. startup, yeah. Um, you can also email, email us at, us, at yeah. classicalstuff.net yeah. and we will write up a term sheet for you. <laughs> um, thank you. This is Graham, Thomas, and AJ yep. signing off. Bye. See you later. I swear this is true. And I owe it all to you. Boop a doop boop boop. All right, wrong song. <laughs> all right, you guys. Yep, you guys yeah, all true. set. Yeah. I definitely recorded all of that. Seriously? Oh yeah. Of course Aww. you did. Yeah. Okay. Let me pause. Let me get rid of. Let me stop that. Mm-hmm. Let me start it.